Well, in a couple of minutes, we're going to move to a very significant portion of Scripture in the second week of a summer series that started last Sunday, where we began to unpack Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, where the Apostle Paul reminds us what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, not just in faith, not just in belief, not just privately, not just personally, but to be a follower of Christ in action. And in 13 verses... He uses 38 verbs to describe this life that Christ is calling us to live. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go on to wherever you can listen to or watch podcasts. You can maybe even subscribe to our YouTube channel, but take a look for the sermon entitled Love Without Hypocrisy. Because in fact, the Apostle Paul, what he does in the very beginning, verse 9, he starts a chain reaction of action that he longs for us to live. And it's like, it's like the first domino that needs to fall. You know, if you get that domino out of space, out of alignment, it can topple over, but not start the chain reaction of movement far off into the distance. And he says that you've got to understand right at the beginning that if we're going to be the type of people that we long to be, if we're going to be the salt of the earth, if we're going to be the light of the world, if we're going to be used by God to be on the front lines of reconciliation and love and mercy, we have to get that first step right. And Paul says that we must love, but love without hypocrisy. Because there's this great temptation to disconnect our heart from the part that we play. There's this great temptation to have the outward appearance of love and not have it flow from the center of who you are. In fact, after last week, I had so many people reach out saying thank you that you're choosing as a church family to lead us through Romans 12, 9 through 21. Many people reached out from a variety of backgrounds and said, I need to hear this right now. This is exactly what I need in the midst of all that's going on outside of me, all that's going on within me. This realignment, this recalibration back to God's word is something that gives us an encouragement unlike anything else. It gives us a comfort unlike anything else. And God's word actually challenges us unlike anything else. So I highly encourage you, if it's your first time here or if you missed last week, catch up with us after the service, get started with this sermon series and stick with us throughout the entire summer because this is what the world needs now. God's megaton dynamite, explosive love flowing through our lives, not only to our friends and our family and our coworkers, but also to our neighbors and strangers in our midst. Okay, so here we are, week two. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And as I get into this, many people even asked last week, what translation are you using, Drew? Because you know, you typically preach from the New Revised Standard Version. And it seems like it was a different translation. Well, in this series, I've done the work to translate from the original Greek language into the English. And so there's a variety of English translations that we do our best to take the, the intent, the heart, the literary and literal meaning of the Greek text and translate it to modern ears. And it was so important last week to understand that though some English translations say love with sincerity or love with devotion, 
the actual Greek language said, love without hypocrisy. And so I'm going to do that again. I'm not going to read from the New Revised Standard Version, but literally a translation from the original Greek, and I'll unpack it and explain it. And I've got to tell you, this is exactly what I and what we as a church and what the world needs right now. This is Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another like family and be eager to honor one another. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we always say, thanks be to God. Now, in your translations, likely you have it before you on a phone or a Bible yourself. And of course, it says love. There's a lot of Greek words for love. And the word that the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Romans, again, he's writing in the first century to a group of Christians in Rome, a very diverse group in Rome. And he uses this word phileo. He doesn't use another word that's often used for love, which is agape. You see, agape is a self-sacrificing sort of love, but a phileo sort of love is one that has a warmth to it. It is an affectionate love. It is like a family sort of love in the best sense of the term. In fact, in the New Revised Standard Version translation, it says to love one another with mutual affection. Some translations say to love one another with brotherly love. In fact, in the Greek, it uses the word Philadelphia. That's where we get the city from, the city of brotherly love. But I'm choosing to translate it from the Greek language to love one another like family. Because we know that God's family is made up of more than just brothers. It's brothers and sisters. And so the Apostle Paul, I want you to imagine this. He is speaking to a very, very diverse group of people in the first century. People who are born in different countries, who have different ethnicities, who have different uh, skin tones, who have come from a different political background, They've all come together. They're now one in Christ. And the Apostle Paul goes so far and he says to not just be a family, but to love one another like a family. This was so radical in the first century. There was no more diverse group on the planet than the first followers of Jesus. It was completely radical. This group of people who didn't diminish and wipe away and remove their maleness, their femaleness, their Jewishness, their Gentileness, their whiteness, their brownness, their blackness. They didn't, they didn't erase all of that, but there was now a new identity as adopted brothers and sisters in Christ Beloved children of God that now redefined every other true thing about them. There's a great book that come out, came out a number of years ago, a pastor at Reality San Francisco, David Lomas. And that book title is The Truest Thing About You. There's a lot of true things about me. Yes, I'm a father and I'm a husband and I'm a son and I'm a brother. And I was born and raised and educated in Los Angeles. There's so many true things about me. But the truest thing about me 
is that I'm a beloved child of God. And that doesn't erase the fact that I'm a father or a son or a brother or a pastor. It actually redefines all of those other things and puts it into context. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking to this diverse group of people from all their backgrounds. And he says to love one another like family. But again, this is the first century. And we've got to understand that the definition of a family back then and the definition of families around the world throughout history look very different than our definition of family here in modern Western America. Even in the U.S., there's so many different definitions and expressions of family. But I need you to know that back then, when the Apostle Paul uses the language of family to describe the early church, you have to understand that back then there was no assisted living facilities. And so the eldest, even in their most vulnerable, even in their most sick, even in their most infirm, were cared for in the home of the family. In the first century, there wasn't this sense that as soon as you grew up and became an adult that you went out and spread your wings and made a name for yourself, even in the best sense of the term. No, a family back then was intergenerational. There were cousins, there was aunts, there was uncles, there was some that you even wondered, are they actually blood related? Because there was this communal, together, tight-knit, highly participatory experience of family that absolutely breaks the barriers and breaks the definitions of the nuclear family today. Everybody played a part. Everybody was loyal to the family. When one person in the family hurt, the whole family hurt. When one person in the family rejoiced, the whole family would rejoice. And back then, it was possible for one person through their actions to bring honor to the entire family or to bring shame to the entire family. And so the Apostle Paul not only defines them as family, but he says to love one another like family. There's so much that our world needs. There's so much that our nation needs. There's so much that our city of Los Angeles needs. But the Apostle Paul in this section of scripture reminds them and reminds us that we have to start with our family our church family, and that we have this opportunity, Bel Air Church. If you call Bel Air Church your home, whether you are a member or not, whether you live in Los Angeles or not, that we have an opportunity to actually lean in, to not have a hypocritical love, but to lean in this sort of love that actually flows into relationship with one another like a family to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, devoted to one another, loyal to one another, sensitive to one another, patient with one another, encouraging one another, speaking the truth in love to one another. That's what we as a church have an opportunity to put into practice right now in this summer 
And out of the overflow of our family relationships, as Jesus says, the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. That out of the overflow of us being a diverse and yet unified in Christ family, we can then go out into the world, into our city, into our nation, into our places of work, into our friend groups and our networks as a family seeking to love our neighbor as ourself. That on one hand, scripture has the ability to speak into every culture on the planet and throughout history, but also scripture has the ability to critique every culture around the planet and throughout history. And I believe one of the critiques that scripture can give to a very small, uh, insulated, uh, individualized definition of family is that it speaks a critique to say that that actually doesn't demonstrate God's heart at all for what family could be. And there's this expansive experience that God longs, not just for biological families, but for our spiritual family as a church. You see, in 1 John 4, 20 through 21, the apostle John writes this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, our brothers and sisters in Christ, how can we love God whom we can't see? And God has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You see, it is impossible to have a relationship with God and not to have a relationship with God's family. The first century and Paul's language here, a biblical understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, it's impossible to have a private and a personal faith alone. Yes, we have to have a personal relationship with God through Christ. Yes, we have to spend time in prayer alone. Yes, we can worship God alone but it has to overflow into our relationships with one another that we actually, we can't have a context for putting into practice the life of Jesus and his teachings if we're not in relationship with one another. That's why life groups are so important. In fact, this summer, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of quarantine, and in the midst of many of us living far away from one another, we have had digital life groups. And if you are interested in getting into one of our digital life groups as we go through a curriculum called Rooted, you can go to our website and you can go to bellerpress.org forward slash rooted. You can find out about what these digital groups are all about. And you can actually scroll down and register to be in the next round of these digital groups. You see what you, what I, what we need right now more than anything else is to be in such close relationship, not proximity, but in relationship with one another, that we are literally a family that can practice loving one another like a family. And Bill, I got to tell you, one of the things that I love about our church family so much here in Los Angeles is that we have no shortage of practicing loving one another like family, even when it's difficult to do so. 
So we've got an opportunity, not just in this summer, but in this election year, to have those that vote Republican who are followers of Christ and those who vote Democrat who are followers of Christ, who are part of this church family, to love one another like family. We have an opportunity for those who are followers of Christ that speak English in their primary language and those who speak Farsi, who are followers of Christ as their primary language, who are part of this church to love one another like family. We have an opportunity for the followers of Christ that see other followers of Christ within our church post things on social media and they get so embarrassed by what they see to actually choose to love one another like family. We have an opportunity to do the tough work, the hard work for those in our church family who actually think right now that the problem are police everywhere to love those in our church who are police officers like family. We have an opportunity for people across the spectrum of all philosophical beliefs and practical beliefs of what it means to put into practice the way of Jesus to love one another like family. And now more than ever, the followers of Christ who are white in our church are called to love the followers of Christ who are black in our church like family. And I say now more than ever because the conversations that I am having with my brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of our church The black members of our church, the black family members in our church, not all of them, but many of them are hurting right now. And the healthiest families are ones when one member of a family, when they hurt, when they struggle, when they have need, when they cry out, the healthiest families are ones that stop everything that they're doing and listen to that family member. Draw close to that family member. Love that family member. And I need you to hear that I'm talking about our church family. And I need you, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would help you to hear exactly what I am saying as I address our church family. Don't allow yourself to go down a rabbit's trail uh, off to the distance of all other things out in the world and out in society. Let's talk about here right now, us as a family. We have an opportunity to love our black brothers and sisters like family. And maybe some of you are like, well, hold on, I've got needs. Well, hold on, why do we have to focus on one? I've seen that in the family too. 
where one person is hurting, one person is in need, and another family member says, hey, wait, wait, what, what about me? What about me? For a moment, a family in health has to say, it's not about you right now. We'll get to you in a moment because you're also part of the family. We have the capacity and the love and the time and the relational expansiveness to, to address your needs in a moment. But let's, let's first address this thing right here. Over the years of doing ministry, I've known of family members who are willing to sacrifice summer plans so that one of their children who struggles with addiction can get the help they need. I've known over the years uh, siblings who were willing to give up a birthday celebration so that they could go visit grandma in the hospital. You know what it's like in a biological family to sacrifice for a moment, for a season, to give the attention that is needed to someone hurting in the family. Well, Beller Church, if we are going to allow the fullness of God's love to flow through our life, if we're going to actually love with a non-hypocritical sort of love, if we're actually going to love one another like family, let's not miss this opportunity right now in our church family, to draw close to those that are hurting, to those that are crying out, to those that feel overlooked. How do we do this? Well, as we did last week, let's go right to the source. Let's take a look at Jesus. And in Jesus, let's find not only the ability and the perspective, but also the the strength and the power to love one another like family. In fact, there is this famous, beautiful section of scripture in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells three parables back to back. He doesn't tell those parables back to back because he's long-winded but because there are nuances to the points, plural, that he's trying to make. And in fact, Luke 15, we are introduced to a shepherd, a woman, and a father who are eagerly desiring to bring back that which had been separated and lost. In fact, you might be familiar with this first parable where Jesus tells the story of a shepherd who is willing to leave 99 safe and sound sheep just to go off and find the one sheep that has been lost. And the second story is about a woman who is willing to leave the nine safe and sound coins just to search for and find the one lost coin. And then finally, the third parable of a father who with overwhelming joy runs towards 
and away from the safe and sound elder son and his residence, and he runs off towards the lost son upon his return. And there are so many threads that weave through these three profoundly beautiful parables. But one of those threads that runs all the way through is the eagerness of the shepherd, the woman, and the father to bring back that which was lost, to honor and to celebrate that which had been distanced and separated. In fact, I want you to hear the rejoicing. I want you to hear the celebration. I want you to hear the eagerness to honor when the lost has been brought home, when the lost has been found. In Luke 15, the physician Luke, with such great detail, records the shepherd saying this. This is Luke 15, verse 6. And when he, when the shepherd comes home, he calls together all of his friends and all of his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. And later on in the second parable, Luke records Jesus is saying about the woman, when she finds the lost coin, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then finally, in that third parable about the father, verse 22, it says this, but the father said to his servants, quickly bring out a robe, the best one you have, and put it on my lost son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on my feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. The thread throughout each of these is the eagerness to honor that which had been separated. In fact, if you go back to Romans 12 verse 10, it doesn't just say to love one another like family, but it says, be eager at honoring one another. So Jesus weaves these threads. Many scholars say that in addition to the fact that you have a, a shepherd and a woman and a father rejoicing over that which had been lost now being found, many scholars, many theologians say that we actually get a picture of the Trinity in these three parables. God the Son is the shepherd, God the Spirit is the woman, and God the Father is the Father. Speaking to the community of one that is God the Son and Spirit and Father, eagerly desiring, longing, to bring that which was lost and near. And these layers of a, a wandering sheep, of a coin that is actually dead, and of a younger son that was rejecting of the father's love, that turns his back on the father and runs away, that we can actually see that sometimes we can wander 
Sometimes we can be dead in our sin. And sometimes we can turn our back on the heart of God, the Father, and run away. And yet the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, goes running after us. Longing to bring us in, longing to bring us near. And yet there's a twist. You see, Jesus is the master of all master of storytellers. And once you get to the third parable, there is a distinct difference. A change that really would stick out if you look at it this way, unlike the two parables before it. That there's another character that is introduced in the third parable. The elder son. And I believe that this is the point behind the point. The layer under the layer to actually give a response to the question that was asked of Jesus to prompt him to tell these stories in the first place. In fact, if you were to read the beginning of Luke 15, it says this, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees, who had turned a relationship with God into simply religion, and the scribes were, were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes even sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells these three stories, and he talks about the heart of one who longs to bring lost things in, to bring separated things near. And the twist at the end, to bring up the elder son, is to speak directly to the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes and perhaps some of us today. Here's how he describes the elder son. Unlike the shepherd that rejoices, unlike the woman that rejoices, unlike the father that rejoices of lost things now found, this is what the elder son does in response. This is verse 25 of Luke 15. Now the father's elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and began to plead with him. But the elder brother answered his father, listen, for all of these years, I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your commands. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and we had to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost and now has been found. And the stories end. The parables don't neatly wrap up with a nice little bow. Leaving the listeners back then, the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes wondering, who's the elder brother? And it leaves us as followers of Christ wondering, who is the elder brother? You see, the elder brother was just as lost as the younger son was just as dead as the lost coin, was wandering just as much as that lost sheep, and yet was doing it in a very different way. You see, the elder brother was self-righteous. One of the father's things actually more than the father and was bitter because he didn't have the celebration that his lost younger son had had. And the father loved him so much that he actually left the party in the same way that he left earlier in the story to run towards the younger son who had been lost. He leaves the party and goes to the elder son. It's the same heart that longs to bring everyone who is separated close. And it says the father pleads with him. And he's saying to the elder brother, you have me, you're part of the family, you already have these things, but now it's about your younger brother. Can you love him with me? Can you celebrate him with me? Can you honor him with me? Can you have an eagerness to rejoice with me? And that elder son in his selfishness and his pride wouldn't allow himself to look beyond himself and he wasn't able to love like family. I don't want to be the elder brother. I know you don't want to be the elder brother. And we can begin by listening to the shepherd and the woman and the father's heart that runs after the hurting, that runs after the separated, that runs after the lost, that even runs after us. so that we can actually see that it is not our good works and it is not our good deeds that makes us a family member. That it's actually simply through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the shepherd who loves us so much, the shepherd who wants us to be family with him and with our brothers in Christ so much that he is willing to die for us. And when a segment of our church family is hurting so much right now, 
I pray that they would hear so much more than just Black Lives Matter. I pray that they would hear the heart of God. And I pray that as you're listening, whoever you are, whether you're part of this church, whether you're part of uh, our online audience, wherever you are, that you would hear what I'm about to say through scripture, not through a media saturated lens, not through a politically partisan sort of lens, not through anything else other than the heart of God, that when you understand that black lives more than matter, that they are beautiful, made in the image of God, worthy of celebration and honor and rejoicing and respect and admiration. That you would hear what scripture says to my brothers and sisters in Christ who have given their life to Jesus, that your life was worth dying for because that's what Jesus did for you. And Christ calls every single one of us to have the same heart of Christ, that we would be willing to die for you too. That you are worthy of our lives, being in service to you in this moment. That we would stand before our Heavenly Father and God the Spirit and God the Son, taking our direction and our obedience and our marching orders and our model for love right now in this moment while you are hurting, and that we would love you in such a profound way that the world would take notice. That the world will know that we are followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. We have an opportunity right now not to miss this moment. And so my prayer is that every single brother and sister in Christ would love each other like family. You see, Rod Nisha, we love you because you're family. Tiana, we love you because you're family. Michael, we, we love you because you're family. Desmond, we love you because you're family. David, we love you because you're family. Clem, we love you. Brother, your family, Olympia, sister, we love you because you're family. Timmy, sister, we love you because you're family. Danielle, we love you because you're family. George, we love you because you're family. Kevin, we love you because you're family. I could go on and on for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. But you, church, it's our turn. Would you love like family? Would you not get hung up with everything out there and start in here? Would you pray, Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, God the Father, would you 
capture my heart with such a profound self-sacrificing love that you would bring me close, that you would adopt me as part of your family. And out of the overflow of that love, as 1 John 4 says, that we would love because God first loved us. That we wouldn't just love like family, a biblical definition of family, but that we would be eager to honor one another. That we wouldn't just honor one another because we're supposed to. We wouldn't just muster up the strength to honor others because we're supposed to. No, that we would be eager, that we would be excited, that we would be tangibly leaning into honoring all the people in our family. And then there's going to be a day where you're going to be hurting. And Muhammad, we're going to say we love you like family. And perhaps there's a moment right now where you're also hurting. And we're going to say, Jordan, we love you because you're family. That when Christ in us, the hope of glory, the limitless giver of a love that is unlike anything else radiates through our lives, that we will actually have the capacity to love everyone in our church family with a love that is incomprehensible. But let's start right now with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting, who need to know that they are worthy of our love as family. Let's pray. Jesus, with infinite cost yourself, you gave your life you were willing to be separated from your heavenly father on the cross, taking upon yourself all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our brokenness. You were willing to be lost spiritually so that we might be found. And Jesus, I thank you that you defeated death on a cross, that you burst forth from the tomb, that you poured out your spirit Spirit upon every follower of Jesus to give us the power to love in ways that we can't do on our own, to love like you love Jesus, not just you, God, but our brothers and sisters as family. Let it start with us today, Jesus. In your name we pray and we say together, amen.